young, I'd listen to the radio. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Bob Trout speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Mutual. This is ABC Radio Network. Hi, and welcome to Same Time, Same Station with John and Larry Gassman. This is Howard McNear, Part 8. And I have no idea how many parts we're going to eventually get to. He was around for a long time in radio. So this could beat the record before too much longer. We don't know for sure. Anyway, today we are going to be playing for you NBC University Theater and also Hallmark Playhouse. But right now, we want to begin with a show called Proudly We Hail. Not as well known as some of the other shows, but a lot of the... Uh, syndicated recordings were made because it was shipped all over the world. And in this particular uh, case, we have Barbara of Midvale featuring Howard Barbara McNair. Britton. And Barbara, and Barbara Britton. Yeah, yeah, Howard did not play Barbara from Midvale no. as far as we know. But also, C.P. McGregor was the guy who put the show together. By the way, his first name was Chick. So that's why I probably he went by C.P. McGregor. Uh, we've got him in shows in San Francisco, but most of what he did was from Hollywood. So someday we'll do a, a C.P. McGregor show. We should do that. So write that down so we don't forget it in the next five minutes. Here we forget go. What? Yeah, that's, okay, good. You're right on schedule. Thank you. You're welcome. Why don't we go now to Proudly We Hail, Barbara from Midvale from 1949. Dedicated to the strength of the nation. Proudly we hail. Yes, proudly we hail, starring Barbara Britton in Barbara of Middlesbrough, United States Army and United States Air Force presentation. Now, here is our producer, the well-known Hollywood showman, C.P. McGregor. Thank you, thank you, and greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to your theater of stars, where the foremost names in motion pictures join us for your entertainment. Our star is that enchanting actress, Barbara Britton, and our play title, Barbara of Middlesbrough. This is a light and romantic story of a girl whose brains enable her to become class valedictorian upon graduation from college, and whose beauty led from a graduation snapshot to the cover of an extensively read gazette and a glamorous job as a magazine model. We'll have the curtain for Act One of Barbara of Middlesbrough right after this message from Wendell Niles. The uniform of the United States, whether it is worn by a soldier or an airman, means many things to many people. To people abroad, it means that the man wearing that uniform is a protector of the free way of life. To Americans, it means that Army or Air Force man is a defender of freedom and an honored citizen. To the man himself, the uniform means service to his country and a valuable career, a career of personal satisfaction and development. Now back at our microphone, our producer. The curtain rises on Act One of Barbara of Middleborough, starring Barbara Britton as Barbara Brownfield. Spring has brought heavy rains, head colds, and graduation day to Middleborough. Principal Horatia Brandewine of Middleborough College, sounding like compressed air being squeezed from an ancient pair of hand bellows, is delivering the annual graduation speech. Members of the student body, as I always say, be prepared and craviton. As you stride upon life's highway, remember to... <laughs> I mean, remember to apply the principles laid down here in your school. <laughs> There's now, one principle that ought to have laid down an hour ago. And this new voice, ladies and gentlemen, belongs to a stranger in town, Mark Elwood, freelance photographer from New York City, with time and a camera on his hands. Caught between trains, he has wandered into the graduation exercises at the college, just in time to hear Principal Brandewine introduce a very beautiful valedictorian. All we say is butterfly. And now here is your class, valedictorian, <laughs> Miss Barbara Brownfield. <laughs> Members of the faculty, parents, and friends. 
I know I speak for all my classmates when I say that we who are graduating from Middleborough this afternoon are indeed grateful. <coughs> we are embarking upon... So let us all resolve to turn to the role of being useful citizens, <coughs> upholding the fine traditional honor of Middlesbrough. Oh, Barbie, my darling. Oh, Mother, how was I? Yes. It was wonderful. And you've made your old dad real proud. And for that, you get a big kiss. Well, line up, everyone. This is an old brownfield custom. There's your daddy. <laughs> and one for your mother. There's your darling. And Sister Betty. You were just super Barbara. Where's mine? I'm Cousin Uriah. Cousin who? Uh, cousin Uriah. Well, Cousin Uriah, that, that was quite a kiss. Hey, yes. And this one's for Aunt Hepzibah. Auntie who? Aunt Hepzibah. She, she talks about you all the time. She does? Yes. Uh, let's walk over here. And seeing that I've come all this way just for your graduation, I hope you'll be able to have dinner with me. But I, I, I've other plans. Well, that is... Oh, a... she'll be awfully disappointed. In fact, she gave me strict orders to she take some pictures of you. Barbara. Oh, same to you, Eunice. Uh, now, uh, about that dinner date, don't you think it could be arranged? Well, um, oh, why not come to dinner at the house? I'm sure Mother and Dad would like to hear more about Aunt Zanzibar. Uh, Hepzibah, but we've always called her Hep-Hep. Uh, you know, she's just like one of us. And now, about that dinner, couldn't we sort of have it somewhere quiet? There's so much Auntie wanted me to tell you. What do you say, cousin? Well, it might be a Good, rain. good. I'll pick you up at 5.30. Oh, Bobby, there you are. Oh, see, so your folks are coming back, and I've got to run along. See you at 5.30. That young man you were getting so confidential with. He kissed you like a long-lost fiancé. Oh, where have you been hiding him? He's dreaming. Why, uh, that's Cousin Uriah. Cousin Uriah? He doesn't look the Uriah type. But, Dad, well, Mother, you ought to know your own relatives. He's, he's Auntie Hep-Hep's son. Hep-Hep? But, darling, we have no relatives with the name of Hep-Hep. <laughs> Betty, and don't go gooey over this imposter. Just be on tap to help the Brownfield family give Cousin Uriah some of his own medicine. I think you're being real cruel. Well, now that we understand each other, why don't you run into the kitchen and help Mother? Oh, good evening, Cousin. Oh, good evening. Hey, <laughs> oh, Brandywine's speech must be catching. <laughs> no, it's just the middle bar wheeze. Some communities have their men of distinction, others have their women of distinction, and we have, have our weaves of, of distinction. distinction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Say, do I detect a new note of sophistication in my little girl graduate? Now, how does it look on me? Or don't you like it? Oh, that's more like the cousin I first met and... and yes? And wanted to... to tell Aunt Hep about. Yes, sir. Shall we go? Well, uh, uh, Cousin Uriah, Mother and Dad and Betty wanted to hear so much about Aunt Marzibal. Aunt Hepzibah. So you're invited for dinner. Isn't that sweet? Oh, no. I, I oh, just Mother, remember... Dad, I, Betty, uh, Cousin no, Uriah's wait, wait. here. Uh, oh, hello. Cousin yeah. Uriah, this is Betty, my younger sister. Uh, hello. Uh, and this is Mother, Cousin Uriah. How are you, Uriah? Well, I, good evening. Oh, Father, this is Uriah. Well... Sure looks the spitting image of old Ezekiel. He does? Yes, just a picture of old Ezekiel. Ezekiel? Uh, shall we uh, go in, sit down to that nice roast turkey? Yeah, but I, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm on a diet of corn pones and chitlins. Would you mind telling me just where you're driving me, Miss Brownfield? Why, cousin, all during dinner you kept talking about your diet of corn pones while eating most of the turkey. So? So I thought I'd drive you down to the Dixieland dining car and see if we could get you some of that southern fried diet of yours. Lady, that does it. Stop the car! Oh. What are you trying to do, murder me? Oh, I'm sorry. You, you bellowed stop the car, so I did. Did you hurt your head? Oh, I have an indenture like the Neanderthal man, that's all. Oh, I'm sorry. Here, let me see. Mm-hmm. Madam... You're a destructive individual. Why, Cousin Uriah. If the name is not Uriah, we could start off by calling me Mark. We could. All right, Mark. That's a start. Now all we need... I know just the place. Soft light, soft music, and no cover charge. Hmm. 
Soft lights, soft music, and no cover charge. Just a minimum, $5 per person. Oh, that's just luxury tax. Well, shall we take advantage of this luxury advance? Not until you explain your masquerade of Cousin Uriah. Well, the name is Mark Elwood, home, New York City. Hey, Uriah. Or should I say you're lovely, honey? You see, where I was born, Woman's Place... No, I know. Woman's Place was in the field, toting that barge, lifting that bale, and cooking corn pones and chitlins. I swear you just seem to go on. You're lovely, honey. I like that. It sort of makes it difficult to find you guilty. Thank you. And with that, I rest my case. Shall we dance now? The court is not adjourned, cousin. We're still waiting for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, I had a few hours between trains. I wandered down Main Street, but... Low Middleborough was deserted. I soon learned that it was graduation day. So, camera in hand, I wandered down to take a look at this phenomenon. And I saw you. Go on. It was then I decided it would be nice to be related to you. Perhaps as a long-lost cousin. <laughs> Good old cousin Uriah. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me, what does a beautiful bright gal like you do from here on in? I mean, what happens now that you're a girl graduate and valedictorian to boot? Well, I'd like to try my hand at a career. Doing what? I'd like to model. Perhaps go to New York City. They say I'm photogenic. Angel, I know you are. Take it from a guy who's just like that with the most important guys in the model agency business. Powers, Conway. Oh, do you know Mr. Conway? Well, like a brother. And now, Your Honor, what's the verdict in the case of Mark Elwood versus the people of Middleborough? Guilty. I'll appeal. <laughs> and I hereby sentence you to face the music and dance. You know what else he said, Mother? He said that he would recommend me to a number of the top mobbing agencies in New York City. Oh, but darling, New York is such a big place. And besides, I'd hate to have you go there alone. Now, Mother, I'm a big girl. I've been to the big city before. Besides, Mark said he'd help me. And I know he's someone real important. Oh, he's real dreamy. Well, he does have an honest face. But what does he do for a living, dear? Oh, he hates to talk about himself. But the way he spends money, he must be very well off. We went to the Elysian Gardens and danced, and he ordered champagne. Where? Well, I always say, if a girl must marry, it never hurts to marry money. Now, Mother, what are you talking about? When a girl marries. It's Mother's favorite radio program. Anyway, it's past 12. New girls better get to bed. Say, uh, Barbara. Yes, Father? Uh, did Cousin Ezekiel ever get his cone pones at the diner? Good night, Father. Long distance. Operator, this is Mark Elwood. I want to talk collect to city editor Bill Daniels, the New York Star Mirror. Just one moment. Hello? Yes? Your party on the other end wants to know why you're phoning him collect for Middleborough. Because I've got 700 pennies and they won't fit the telephone slot. Do you wish me to refer you to the supervisor? No, no, of course not. Just refer me to that tight-fisted city editor, Mr. William Daniels. He said you'll take the call. Yeah. Hello. Hello, Bill. The answer is no. What do you want? Look, Bill. I've got a terrific picture layout of a graduation day in the most typical American town in the country. And, Bill, I've got a couple of pictures of the most beautiful graduate you ever saw. So? I need 50 bucks to get back to New York. Look, Mark, ever since you left the Star Mirror to freelance, you've cost the paper twice the salary we were paying you. So take your pictures to the police gazette. But, Bill, how will I get back to New York? If I remember rightly, there's a big road called the Lincoln Highway leading right into this big, big city. So hit the road, nature boy. Bye. Bill! Bill! We pause briefly from our story, Barbara of Middleborough, starring Barbara Britton, to bring you a brief message from our government. High school graduates, have you heard about the United States Army's technical school plan? If you have not heard, then pay especially close attention. You see, if you have recently graduated from high school, you can learn a valuable technical skill and receive good Army pay while you're learning. This is really an earn-while-you-learn project. When you've finished, you'll be qualified for a special job in the Army, and later in civilian life as well. More, you can choose the specialty you want from the 60 different courses on the Army list. Yes, you high school graduates can choose your training before you enlist. 
fill out your application at your nearest United States Army and United States Air Force recruiting station at once. When your application has been approved, you can enlist with the absolute assurance that you'll get the technical course and training you want. Act now. The curtain rises on Act Two of Barbara of Middleborough, starring Barbara Britton as Barbara Brownfield. Barbara, a beautiful young girl from Middleborough, met Mark Elwood, an attractive young man from Manhattan, in rather a unique way. A stolen kiss at Barbara's graduation brought comfort to Mark's heart and joy to Barbara at the prospect of Mark's promise to further her modeling career. Two weeks have elapsed since that meeting in Middleborough. And on this bright New York morning, in Mark Elwood's cubicle of an office, he sees peeking out from under a mountain of bills a letter postmarked Middleborough. Hmm. Barbara Brownfield. Well, this should be pleasant reading. Starts off nice. And I can't thank you enough for your wonderful kindness in being responsible for Mr. Ajax Conway seeing the photographs you took of me in Middleborough. He wired to say he's coming here to sign me to a contract. Nice guy, that Elwood. Ajax Conway? Ajax? Oh, no! Miss Minsk, get me the aspirin bottle. You got a headache, Mr. Elwood. Oh, this is terrible. What give? Miss Minsk, where's the telephone book? It's sitting on it. Oh. Is that what was bothering you? Conway, Conway, Conway. Oh, I'm right. I knew it. Ajax Conway. Miss Minsk, find out when the next train leaves for Middleborough. But I still don't understand what you're screaming about. Remember those photographs of the sweet girl graduate I sold? Match. Well, she's just got an offer from Conway. Gee, swell. The Conway model agency is the biggest outfit in the country. Yeah, but this offer came from Ajax Conway, who runs the biggest burlesque show in the country. Oh, good morning, Barbara. Oh, good morning, Professor Brandywine. Hey, that's quite a lot of groceries you've got there. Oh, we're having an important guest for dinner from out of town. He's come all the way from New York to interview me for a job. My word. And that's what I call a very intelligent employer. One who takes the time to investigate the background and home life of his prospective employer. I'm sure he'll find you a perfect secretary. Oh, but he's not interested in the secretary. You see, it's Mr. Conway, you know, of the famous Conway girls. Oh, Oh, well, (laughs) and I always said the graduates of Middleborough were, uh, as I've always said, trim in their work and trim in their endeavors. (laughs) Thank you, Professor. Yes, well, if Mr. Conway wants a letter of recommendation, uh, (laughs) that is a confirmation of your character. But then I suppose that won't be necessary. He must have already seen a picture of him. Oh, yes. A, a friend of mine arranged it all. Oh, well. You always were our prize student in elocution. Just remember, my dear, to look directly at your audience and speak from the pit of your stomach. Oh, but Professor, I'm not going on the stage. Oh, but I thought you said that... Mr. Conway is head of the Conway Modeling Agency. The modeling agency? Yes, and Mr. Conway wants me to go to work for him as a model. My word, times do change. Conway girls are quite famous. They were in my time, too. Really? Oh, my, yes. Many's the time when I went to New York and bought tickets. Oh, there's Mrs. Brandywine. Well, good luck, my dear. Thank you. Never thought I'd see the day when one of my girls would be with Mr. Conway. (laughs) Well, remember me to your mother and father. Goodbye. Oh, that must be Mr. Conway. Mother, are you all ready? All ready, Bobby. How do I look? Oh, wonderful. Oh, thanks, dear. My, I must say, the dinner table certainly looks beautiful. Oh, gosh. Gee, imagine a real celebrity in Middleborough. And in our house, too. Now, Betty, remember, don't ogle Mr. Conway all through dinner like you did Mark Elwood. Mr. Conway is one of America's most distinguished personalities. Oh, my. Well, open the door, Betty. Okay, Barbara. (laughs) Father. Oh, Father. George, why don't you use your key? Oh, I forgot it. Well, why are the three of you glaring at me like I was caught in the act of breaking into somebody's house? But, Dad, you've got to get ready for Mr. Conway. He's due here any minute. Hello, folks. Huh? This must be the right house, because I heard someone mention the name Conway. Are you Mr. Conway? That's right, Ajax Schmo Conway. Oh, well, come in, come in, Mr. Conway. Don't mind if I do. Would you come into the living room, Mr. Conway? Don't mind if I do. Nice junk. Uh, would you care for a cocktail, Mr. Conway? Uh, yes, I'll have a Bronx Boilermaker. Uh, 
Uh, Bronx Boilermaker? Make it a double, huh? Uh, come along, Betty. We'll sort of give Dad a hand making that. Boilermaker, double. Mr. Conway, I can't tell you how wonderful it is of you to come all this way to interview me. And beautiful dames. I mean girls, in my business. Let me see your gams. Uh, are they all right, Mr. Conway? Lady, I said gams, not gums. Pick up your skirts. Let's have a look at those legs again. Oh, uh, where do you want me to stand? Haven't you ever strutted a runway? Why, no, I've never been to the races. <laughs> never been there. That's a very funny routine. Okay, let's see them. Yeah, they're very good. You know any steps? Oh, well, just the ones I learned from Miss Overhaul. Now, let's see them. Lady, I didn't ask you if you know how to walk. I mean, dance. Like this. Gee, Mr. Conway, I'll bet you can be real hip after a Boilermaker. Uh, yeah, huh? Oh, well, where is it? Oh, here you are, Mr. Conway. This is the first time ever had one out of a trophy cup. Well, that's what it said in my cocktail book. Yeah. Well, it anyway, said... Here's mud in your eye. It said two quarts of beer and one quart of burgundy wine. Oh, or should it have been bourbon? Someone slip me a mix. better, Mr. Conway? Yeah, where am I? What happened to me? Where's my wallet? Your wallet? Maybe he wants us to call his own doctor. Brownfield, there's only one thing you forgot to serve with that trophy cup. A stretcher. How do you feel now, Mr. Conway? It's the first time I ever started out with a hangover. Would you like to have dinner now, Mr. Conway? What can I lose? Oh, oh, I'll get it. Hello? Oh, yes. Yes, he's here. Just a moment. It's for you, Mr. Conway. For me? I don't get it. Well, that's what the man said. I, I yeah, mean... I hope the cops aren't giving me trouble again. Oh, do they model, too? Get on. Miss Conway speaking. Who? You're who? Oh, I see. What's that? Oh, I didn't know that. No, she didn't say anything to me about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, there's no reason for me to stay. What? I was just told that Miss Brownfield's been signed with Miner's Burlesque Theater. Burlesque? Miner's Burlesque Theater? And you knew it all along. Who, may I ask, told you that? Your manager, Mr. Mark Elwood. Barbara? Barbara? What do you want? Dream Boy's been trying to get you again. Oh, why don't you talk to him? Not if he were the last man in Middleborough. But you can't stay in the house all your life. You haven't been outside for a whole week. I just don't feel like it. You mean you don't want to run into Mark Elwood? I'm afraid I'll choke him with my own hands. Nerve of him scaring away that poor Mr. Conway with that fantastic story. Father, dear. Yes, Mother? There's someone here to see you. But, Mother, I told you that... Barbara. Mark Elwood, how dare you? Well, this is where I came in. Bye now. Now, now, Barbara, let me explain. I've got something important to tell you. Sorry, I'm not interested in anything you have to say. Not even in a modeling contract? A what? Modeling contract. But I thought you didn't want me to be a model. After all, you're my manager, aren't you, for burlesque theaters? But I had to pretend I was your manager. You didn't have to pretend I was signed to that burlesque show. It was the only way I could get rid of old Ajax. you you're incorrigible. Ajax Conway is. He's also the manager of the biggest burlesque show in the country. Now, I know you're crazy. There are two Conways, Ajax and Harvey. They're not related. It's Harvey who has the modeling agency. Why did that burlesque man come all the way to Middleborough? Well, never mind. Never mind that now. The important thing is I've got a contract for you from the Conway that counts. Harvey Conway himself. Mark, wh- why have you done all this? Well, I I felt like a heel getting you in all this trouble. What else could I do but go to Harvey Conway himself? Barbara, I, I'm just a freelance photographer, but I've worked for Harvey on lots of assignments. He took one look at your pictures and told me to sign you up. Oh, Mark, you're a darling. Say that again, please. I said you're a darling. Nah, that's what I call uncousinly words, but I love them. <laughs> Mark, you're mad. Thanks. Two of us. Father, what are you doing with that lather on your face? That's nothing compared to the lather in my heart. What are you doing with that lather on your face? Uh, 
Never mind the lather. I, Daddy, I forgot I, to finish shaving. This is too much. What's too much? This, 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 this picture. Well, I guess it's about time for me to uh, get going. I'm sorry, Mark. I don't know what's come over, Father. Well, I'll tell you. I was getting a shave at the barbershop downtown, and I picked up this magazine with your picture on the cover. Me? On a magazine oh, cover? Really? Oh, really? Let me see it. Come on, here. Barbara Brownfield has been nominated Miss Police Gazette of 1949. Photograph by Mark Elwood. The curtain falls in the final act of Barbara of Middleborough. Our star, Barbara Britton, will return for a curtain call after this important message from Wendell Niles. Attention all Air Reserve and Air National Guard officers. Between now and July 1949, the expanding United States Air Force needs 10,000 of you. All Air Reserve and Air National Guard officers who volunteer now for three years of active duty will receive the highest rank they held before they were relieved from extended active duty. You are needed most if you are under 45 years of age and have had experience as a professional, technical, or administrative officer. Vacancies exist in all grades up to and including Lieutenant Colonel. Your Air Force needs you now. Obtain application form number 125 at your nearest Air Force base, recruiting station, Air Reserve, or Air National Guard unit at once, or by writing to the Chief of Staff, United States Air Force. Attention, recall, Washington 25, D.C. Here again at the microphone, our star, Barbara Britton, and our producer. Well, Miss Barbara Covergirl, come out and take a bow. We're glad to have you back with us again. It's good to be back, C.P., but let's forget that Covergirl business. That was all a case of Mark's personal aggrandizement. And besides that, he was always trying to promote his own interests. Mm -hmm. I see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> but did you notice the parallel between the other Barbara and yourself? Well, uh, she made the cover of the Gazette. I didn't. <laughs> I got my screen test in the newsreels, and she didn't. No, she jumped from class valedictorian to a top-ranking model agency. You hurtled into motion pictures from a float in the Rose Parade, and into stardom without the customary bit-part buildup, even if your first screen test came from the parade newsreels. I was told I should go into pictures, which I believed, after discounting it 100%. <laughs> but it turned out to be a surefire way to stardom. Well, what's new with you in pictures, and what happened to your column in the Hollywood nightlife? Well, nothing about the column, C.P. I was just writing that between pictures. And as for the latest picture, well, cover-up is my current release. That's the one that co-stars Bill Bendix and Dennis O'Keefe, isn't it? Yes. And what's new with you, C.P.? How's that ranch of yours coming? Great. And those prize blue-ribbon chickens? Those poultry patricians. <laughs> I work my fingers to the bone for them. Do you think they appreciate it? Good home, easy life. I only show them four or five times a year. They're all a bunch of clucks. <laughs> they don't help out at all. You know, you know, produce eggs. <laughs> Those chickens don't have to do anything. Just stand around all day and look pretty. Oh, that's easy. I'd better ask you what you're doing to earn their living here in the theater next week. Next week, Barbara, and ladies and gentlemen, we present Dick Ferran in a comedy romance journal of a hometown boy. This is the story of a returning veteran who finds he has won a national prize through the publication of notes made into book form of his hometown reflections. Mere nostalgic jottings made while he was in the Army. There's plenty of fast-moving action here, and I know you'll enjoy the play. I'm sure your little family will live well for another week, C.P., with an interesting play like that on tap. Goodbye. Goodbye, Barbara. <laughs> Be sure to join us next week, ladies and gentlemen, when we bring you Dick Ferran and Journal of a Hometown Boy. Until then, this is C.P. McGregor saying thanks for listening, and cheerio from Hollywood. Barbara Britton appeared through the courtesy of the Hollywood Coordinating Committee, which arranges for the appearance of all stars in this program. Script was by John Slott and Emil Frank, with music under the direction of Eddie Scrivener. The program is transcribed in Hollywood for release at this time. Wendell Niles speaking.
proudly we hail from 1949, Barbara from Midville, featuring our guest for this century and millennium, Howard McNear. Next is the Hallmark Playhouse, a very well-done show. And you'll hear Frank Goss as the announcer as we go back to hear Parnassus on Wheels. Howard McNear also in this show from January 20th, 1949. Remember, a Hallmark card when you care enough to send the very best. Tonight, from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Ruth Huzzy in Christopher Morley's Parnassus on Wheels on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark will bring you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist, Mr. James Hilton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we present a charming story by one of America's finest writers, Christopher Morley. It has the intriguing title, Parnassus on Wheels. And as Parnassus was a mountain where the ancient Greeks worshipped the fine arts, you can imagine that almost anything can happen in a story called Parnassus on Wheels. A few writers handle this kind of storytelling exquisitely, and Christopher Morley is among them. He can play with an idea in a rather enchanting way that wins a permanent place in the affection of readers. And I think this is proved by the fact that Parnassus on Wheels, written 30 years ago, is not only as fresh today as it ever was, but is among the very few novels that have never been out of print over such a long period. In this most charming story, we are especially privileged to have as our star tonight that equally charming actress, Ruth Huzzy. And now, Frank Goss, have you a word about Hallmark? There are Hallmark cards for every memorable occasion on your calendar. For birthdays, anniversaries, holidays. Yes, for every occasion that calls for remembrance. For a friendly greeting, a word of good cheer, an expression of sympathy. There is a Hallmark card that says just what you want to say, the way you want to say it. And that identifying Hallmark on the back, well, that says you cared enough to send the very best. Hallmark Playhouse, presenting Christopher Morley's Parnassus on Wheels and starring Ruth Huzzy. Spring in New England. The time is 1913. The place, Sabine Farm, just outside Redfield. If anybody takes you for granted, it's a brother. I've been Andrew's housekeeper for close to 10 years, since I was 24. I've practically run his farm myself, cooked the meals and done everything to keep things smooth so he wouldn't be disturbed while he was writing those blasted books of his. And then this morning he told me he was going to Europe for a year. He'd chase around Europe and I... Well, I'd do what I'd always done. Nothing. A lifetime of doing nothing. Oh, I'd go on with the chores around the farm, feed the chickens and tend the garden day after day. Well, there must be something more than cooking and feeding chickens. Is this where Andrew McGill lives? Well, it is, but he's not home. I'm his sister. I'll wait if I may, ma'am. You'll probably be wasting your time. He doesn't do much buying from peddlers. Although that's the strangest rig I've seen pull into here. Your wagon looks like an old-fashioned trolley car. Suitable for its purpose, as noted on the side there. R. Mifflin's Traveling Parnassus. Good books for sale. That thing full of books? We lower the sides thusly. And lo... Shelves. Very neat. Here's my card. Take a look at the back. Hmm. Poetry. Well, that's praise too high. Call it a rhymed advertisement. Roger Mifflin's Traveling Parnassus. Worthy friends, my wain doth hold many a book, both new and old. 
books the truest friends of man fill this rolling caravan. Every kind for every need, so that he who buys may read. What librarian can surpass us? Mifflin's traveling Parnassus. <laughs> oh, they say a life's the tonic, and that'll do for three doses of sulfur and molasses. Parnassus is a doctor's whole kit and caboodle. I was a teacher till my health broke down. I took this up, and I've been healthy, more than made expenses, and had the time of my life for seven years. Pegasus, Bach, and I have covered the territory from Florida to Maine. Peg what? And Bach? Pegasus, my horse. Oh. And oh. Bach's a terrier you haven't met yet. I named him after Boccaccio to remind me to read the Decameron someday. Oh, well, Andrew will be home later. You can wait if you like. He's a great one for books, probably buy half your stock. Well, I'm selling out Parnassus rig and all. I want to settle down and write a book myself. I thought, who would be the best man to take over Parnassus? The name Andrew McGill lit up in my mind, bright as you like. You better turn off the lights. He'd have more fun than a barrel of monkeys. And he's always going off on journeys, according to his writings. Well, he's going off again, but this van wouldn't do for the trip. Europe. This fall. Fall's not here yet. I'll wait around to talk to him. Would you like to look over Parnassus? There's more to it than meets the eye. A man's castle, complete and on wheels. You never hear about women's castles. All right, I'll look over your Pachisi. Well, it has just about everything. Stove, table and chair, and a bed. Even a pot of geraniums in the window. And all for just $400. Profit? Vacation and adventure all tied up in one neat, inexpensive package. The world's your doorstep, and a bright new road is a waking up present every morning. For a man like Mr. McGill, the perfect thing. A man. No strings, no responsibilities. Even find profit, vacation, and adventure tied up in one neat, inexpensive package. D- did you say $400, Mr. Mifflin? And a real bargain. I think so, too. In fact, I'll take it. By the bones of Swinburne, Miss McGill, I can't tell you how much I admire your spunk. Well, since we started out, I've come to admire my spunk, too. But I'm questioning my sanity. I'll spend the day teaching you the business. If later you decide to give it up, you can always sell out and go back to Sabine Farm. Oh, I can just picture the reception I'd get after Andrew reads the note I left and realizes I've gone without so much as a buy or leave. (laughs) He's a man who likes things to go smoothly. He may be set in his ways, but he's still your brother. He'd get over any peeve and... And take me back? Not on your life, because he won't get the chance. I don't intend to go back to Sabine Farm. There's nothing there I want. Stop complaining, Bach. He feels left out of the conversation. He does? Usually I'm alone, so I talk to Bach. Fine companion and perfect for a serious talk. He's understanding and never argumentative. And after tomorrow, when I'm selling on my own, will he give me tips? You won't need them. Book selling is kind of like a religion. When the call comes, nothing else matters. Lord, when you sell a man a book, you don't just sell him 12 ounces of paper and glue and ink. You sell him a whole new life. Love and friendship and humor and ships at sea by night. There's all heaven and earth in a book. This wagon is loaded with salvation. Yes, ma'am. Salvation for stunted minds. By the bones of Whitman, this isn't a job. It's a crusade. Oh, well, should I wear a suit of armor? <laughs> Well, oh, there's Mason's Farm around that bend. Since I'm in business, shouldn't I try to sell some of my stock? No time like the present, no place like right here. Well, Mrs. Mason, I've gone into the book business. Oh, this is Mr. Mifflin. I've bought out his stock. Oh, go on, Helen. You can't kid me. So help me, Hannah. And we've come to sell you some books. I do believe you mean it. But I bought a whole set of books last year from a book agent. The World's Great Funeral Orations. Twenty volumes. Sam and I ain't finished the first volume yet. Awful uneasy reading. Uh, Madam, funeral orations, uh, bound in sackcloth, I suppose, have their place, but... Miss McGill and I have got some real books here. 
books more cheerful to beguile your evenings. I see those fine-looking children over there. Surely they'd profit by a good book or two. Hello, Miss Miguel. Sam, what do you know? Helen's turned book peddler. No. Afraid so. And doing a very important job, Mr. Mason. A family man owes him to himself to have good books in the house. Give those children of yours a few good books and you're starting them on the double-track line to happiness. He's right, Sam. Appears to make sense. We could even get some poems. Remember how excited Evie was when she learned that poem in school? Oh, we've some wonderful books of poetry. Now, what was the name of that? Oh, I liked it so much when she recited it. The Wreck... The Wreck of the Asparagus. That's it. You're a good salesman, Mr. Mifflin. You made $2.40 on that transaction at the Masons. I'll be rich in no time. <laughs> Quiet, Bach. He has a tendency to intrude on conversations. I'm afraid I've spoiled him. Now, be patient, Bach. We've days of talks ahead of us. I'm always... What's wrong? You're pale. Well, the man coming toward us from the crossroads, do you see him, too? I do. Uh, that man is my brother, Andrew McGill. Andrew, want to buy any books? What on earth is this nonsense, Helen? You've led me the deuce of a chase. And who is this, uh, this person you're driving with? Oh, Andrew, let me introduce Mr. Mifflin. I've bought his caravan. Mr. Mifflin's on his way to Greenbrier, where he takes the train for New York. Oh, pleasure, Mr. McGill. I've admired your Look books. Look here, for Helen, you've no right to do this. You know I can't work unless things go smoothly at the house. No one but you knows how I like things run while I'm busy writing my books. Oh, really, Andrew? You ought to have I... better sense than to go careening about the state with a strolling vagabond. And I should think you owe me something after I... Well, now, see here, Andrew McGill. Anything I owed you, and I can't imagine what it could be, was paid for in full by thousands of loaves of bread and a lot of years. I'm entitled to some courtesy, and I'm old enough to want something more than I've been getting. Now, if you want to buy any books, you can parley with me. And if not... Goodbye. You must be crazy. By the bones of Ben Johnson, I had expected to meet a gentleman and, and a man of letters. I see I was mistaken. I tell you, sir, a man who would insult a lady as you've done is a noaf and a cad. And I propose to teach you a lesson. Put up your hands. Why, you cheeky scoundrel! Oh, stop it! Both of you, stop it! Do you hear? My heavens! My apologies, Miss McGill. Andrew, your nose is bleeding. Mm, so it is. My handkerchief, sir. Thank you. Now listen to me. You ought to be ashamed, two grown men. What will you solve with your fists? Oh, every woman dreams of men fighting over her, but oh, not for this reason, and not two middle-aged scarecrows swinging at each other in the middle of a dusty road. Oh, it's a waste of breath talking to you. Go on back to your silly fighting for all I care. I'm going on alone. Giddy up, Pegasus. <laughs> Before James Hilton returns to the second act of Parnassus on Wheels, starring Ruth Huzzy, I'd like to tell you a story that began centuries ago in China. Picture an aging Chinese gentleman brushing exotic characters onto a vellum scroll. He is wrapped in thought and writes only when he is sure of what he wants to say. For he is recording the wisdom of a lifetime for the guidance of all who seek a good life. Now he nods approvingly at what he has just finished writing. For it says... Without knowing the force of words, it is impossible to know men. And the old man signs his name, Confucius. The impression that words make on the minds of men is a force for good, a force for happiness and for peace. It is a means of expressing your fondness to a friend, your sympathy, your appreciation. The people who make Hallmark cards are aware of this. That's why they make it possible for you to choose a greeting card for practically any occasion why they offer you an almost unlimited assortment of cards that say just what you want to say, the way you want to say it. Next time you have a reason for sending a card to a friend, look for the store that handles Hallmark cards. For Hallmark cards are as satisfying to send as they are to receive. Look for the Hallmark on the back of each card. 
it tells your friends you cared enough to send the very best. Now, back to James Hilton and the second act of Christopher Morley's Parnassus on Wheels, starring Ruth Huzzy. So Helen McGill was off on the great adventure and with no turning back. She had the bookseller's van, Parnassus, and the open road, her high hopes, her unspoken fears, and a faraway future that had no identifying label. Well, Bark, we're on our own. Any comment? Move over closer, Bark. I wouldn't want you to miss anything I said to... Well, what's this? His notebook. Oh, I, I shouldn't read it, should I, Bark? It wouldn't be honorable. Well, say something. I need moral support. Well, all right, then. It's your fault, Bark. You should have stopped me. I don't suppose Bark or Peg get lonely, but by the bones of Ben Gunn, I do. Books aren't a substantial world, after all, and... Every now and then we get hungry for some closer, more human relationships. There are three ingredients in the good life. Learning, earning, and, and yearning. A man should be learning as he goes. He should be earning bread for himself and others. And he should be yearning, too. Yearning to know the unknowable. My ideal of a man is the fellow who does handily and well whatever comes to him. If it's writing a book or peeling potatoes, he can put into it the best he has. Even if he's only a bald-headed fool selling books on a country road, he can make an ideal of it. Oh, I can't read any more, Bark. I've no right to peer into his heart. He's a good man, that former owner of yours. Oh, Bark, I feel like I want to cry. Stop barking at that hound, Bark. One bite and we'd have you down to puppy size. Now behave. Hello there. Hello. Where's the professor? Who? The professor, Mr. Milford. Oh, he's on his way to New York, I expect. I bought Parnassus. Mom! Oh, Mom, Parnassus is here, but the professor sold out to a lady. Well, I do declare. Imagine Parnassus turned suffrage. But light and set a while. Well, thanks. I'm Helen McGill. I'm Mrs. Pratt. And this wild Indian is Dick. Mr. Pratt's washing up for supper. You'll join us. Thanks. Mr. Mifflin spoke of you and Mr. Pratt. Did he say anything about me? Oh, hush now. Go into the table. <laughs> that kid's sure crazy about the professor. But then, who isn't? Yes. Who isn't? Don't suppose Parnassus will seem the same without the professor? No meaning no slight to you, ma'am. We'll still buy books. Oh, I understand, Mr. Pratt. What big shoes that man left for me to step into. He must have friends all the way from Maine to Florida. Friends? Why, ma'am, there ain't a house where he hasn't helped somebody or cheered somebody. And never a word of complaint from him, no matter what. Folks I've talked to just love that man. There's going to be a mite of missing him now he ain't coming back. It's a strange thing. I'm just beginning to realize that Roger... I mean, Mr. Mifflin... sort of bewitches people. He does. He does. Fool I am, Bach. Now, now, why didn't I stay overnight at the Pratt's? 
They couldn't have been nicer, even bought books. But no, no, I had to get stubborn and tell them I wanted to get to Port Vigor tonight. But, Bart, just between us, and I'll hate you if you breed a word of this to anyone, I couldn't stand listening to them praise Roger. Pegasus, now get along now. Oh, by the bones of somebody or other, Pegasus, this is no time to get balky. Now, what in the name of... Oh, oh no, thrown a shoe. Well, it's not your fault, Peg, old girl. I'm sorry I misjudged you. Now, Bart, come back here. If I have to spend a night in the woods, I want you close to me. Come on now, Bart. Inside, inside our castle. Uh, in the morning, we'll find somebody who can put a shoe on and... Bart, what was that? Please, bark. I don't see nobody around. Ain't this a windfall? Yeah. <clears throat> the contraption's locked. We'll break it open when we get over to the quarry. Nobody will look for it there. I right, get the horse started. Boy, he's got a bad foot. I'll give him a stick to his back. He'll forget about that foot. Oh, I don't know. No, stop yammering. Get on. I got a stick. I'll get him started. You too, uh, Rot. Clear out or I'll shoot. Hey, can you see him? Hey, we ain't done nothing, mister. You heard me. Now move. You think he's got a gun? I'm going to find out. Hey, we just want to show you about the horse's foot. Beat it. going to count three. One. Come on, Mac. Two. Well, if he had a gun, why didn't he show himself? Three. Uh, we're going, mister. Yeah, see, we're getting out. We, we don't want to trouble. We're just passing by. Oh, it's Roger. Professor. Oh, thank heaven. <coughs> now you bark. <laughs> Got to thinking, maybe a lone woman selling on the road might need some help. Then you followed me from Greenbrier? After that fight with your brother, I wasn't sure you'd want my company. Well, there's Port Vigor up ahead. You'll be able to get a good hotel room, and in the morning, I'll catch my train for New York. Is that the 10.30 for New York? Sure is. Always gives us a goodbye whistle. Goodbye. Beg your pardon? Oh, nothing. No. I, I was expecting someone to come here this morning, but I guess it doesn't matter. I'll check out now. Bill's all made out. Next time you stop with us, come down a mite earlier. Maybe we'll have excitement like we had today. Fellow arrested and took off to jail right here in the lobby. Well, I'll try not to miss the fun next time. Mm. Ball-headed guy. Built some woman out of 400, they say. Sold her a wagon or something. Oh, it's not possible. Still, w w what was the man's name? Mm, don't rightly recall that I heard the name. Fellow came from out of town, staying at the other hotel. Just walked in here when they nabbed him. Short, bald, wearing a brown suit. A big smile that makes you feel warm and friendly. Didn't notice the smile, but the rest fits. Where's the jail? Uh, township building, uh, two doors down. Ellen! Andrew, what are you doing here? I followed you. Well, I haven't got time to talk to you now. Roger's in jail. I know. Well, you can come along if... You, you know. I had him arrested. you're out of jail, Mr. Mifflin. If you want to hit Andrew in the nose again, I certainly won't say a word against it. Go ahead and try. I don't guess it would do much good. Oh, Andrew McGill, I do believe you've taken leave of your senses. I need you at the farm. You know that. I can't get any work done. Andrew, I always knew you were selfish, but I never realized how selfish. Roger, I... I don't know what to say to you. I can't apologize enough for what happened. Andrew's my brother and... And I'm ashamed of him. Nobody needs to apologize to me. That's big of you. Oh, Andrew, shut up. You've missed your train again, Roger. I'll bet you rue the day you ever set eyes on me. I bless that day. You what? Miss McGill, Helen, I'm not rich or handsome or famous, but I love you. I want you to marry me. I can't offer much, but we'll always have Parnassus. We'll travel around with Peg and Bach and preach the love of books and the love of human beings. Helen, will you come with me and 
make me the happiest bookseller in the world. I don't know why I'm crying. I'm such a fool. I've waited 34 years for this moment, and I bawl like a baby. <laughs> then, then you... Yes, yes, yes. Oh, bless you, Roger, yes. Seems to me when a man proposes marriage to a woman, he should have something better to offer than a home on wheels. Oh, nobody asked you. Just to get you two started, I'd be willing to buy that, Parnassus. We can get along. All right, confound it. If you want the straight of it, I want to buy Parnassus. Name your price. Price, Andrew. I wouldn't know how to set a price on Parnassus. Well, that's why it's not for sale. How do you decide the value of a way of life? What is happiness worth? No, Andrew, we won't give up our Parnassus. It's brought us too much that we don't intend to lose. Happiness, each other, a meaning for our existence, and, and yes, a, a crusade. Well, everybody needs his own personal crusade, so he won't dry up inside and become selfish and bitter. Well, you've got to find a kind of Parnassus for yourself. Maybe it won't have wheels and Pegasus and books, but well, that's not important if it suits you. Find it, Andrew. Search for it. No matter how hard you try, the effort's worth it. And your reward will be the happiness Roger and I have found. Well, there's nothing more important in this life. Before James Hilton and Ruth Huzzy return, I'm going to do a favor for some little girl you know. I'm going to tell you about a gift to make that little girl very, very happy. It's a hallmark doll of the nations. There's Anne of England, Rita of Brazil, Cowboy Joe, eight of them in all. They're dressed in colorful costumes, have real plumes in their hats, and stand up like real people. They're educational, too, for with each one is a rhymed story of that doll's country. Hallmark Dolls of the Nations cost only 25 cents each, or a dollar for a beautiful collector's album with two dolls already in it. Find Hallmark Dolls of the Nations at the Friendly Store, where you buy Hallmark greeting cards. Here again is James Hilton. I'm sure you'll agree that Christopher Morley wrote a delightful story in Parnassus on Wheels, and that Ruth Huzzy has given us her usual fine performance. Miss Huzzy, from all of us Hallmark people, a great big bouquet for your appearance in the Playhouse tonight. Thank you, Mr. Hilton. Being here did something for me. Getting to know you better has proved that all authors are not as hard to get along with <laughs> as that brother of mine in the play tonight. And it's proved another thing for me, too. Quality is no accident. And when I saw how carefully everyone here in the Playhouse worked to get a perfect performance... I realized why it was that Hallmark greeting cards are so acceptable for every occasion. You Hallmark people must have a tradition of excellence. Thank you, Miss Hussey. We hope we shall always continue to merit that praise. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to invite you all to be with us next week when we present a heartwarming story about a doctor, Catherine Haviland Taylor's The Failure, starring that fine actor, Ward Bond. And the following week, Carl Sandburg's great story of the early life of Abraham Lincoln, The Prairie Years, starring Gregory Peck. Our Hallmark Playhouse is every Thursday. Our director-producer is Dee Engelbach. Our music is composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. And tonight's story was adapted for radio by Howard Dimsdale. Until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying good night. Look for Hallmark cards that are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember, Hallmark cards when you care enough to send the very best. Ruth Hussey will soon be co-starred in the Paramount picture of The Great Gatsby. This is Frank Goss saying goodnight to you all until next week at this same time when James Hilton returns to present The Failure starring Ward Bond and the following week Carl Sandberg's The Prairie Years starring Gregory Peck. This program came to you from the Hallmark Playhouse. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Parnassus on Wheels from uh, the Hallmark Playhouse, January 20th, 1949. Good show.
Uh, you can uh, link up with Same Time, Same Station in a number of ways, of course. You can do it through Facebook, Same Time, comma, Same Station. Call us during normal business hours, area 714-449-1958. There's also email, LarryGassman1 at gmail.com, and Gassman is spelled G-A-S-S-M-A-N. And I'm John1Gassman at gmail.com.